Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. We have a new sponsor, Little Shop of Stories, located in Decatur, Georgia. It is possibly the best bookstore in the known universe. It's a local, independent children's bookstore, but they're so much more than just a bookstore. If you've never shopped there, you're missing out. You can call and speak to a bookseller anytime to get personalized recommendations and follow them on social media to keep up with the many, many events they organize. You can find them online at littleshopofstories.com and they ship all over the world. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. And I'm Jenny. And today we are discussing the last Newberry Honor book from 1922, The Old Tobacco Shop by William Bowen, which was illustrated by Reginald Birch. And I have the annotation, as always, from the ALA Newberry and Caldecott Guide. I'm going to apologize for some of the words I'm going to use in this in this annotation. I'm just reading it, and I yeah, it's just indicative of the book. Okay, the old tobacco shop. Fred is befriended by the hunchback who runs the tobacco shop, warned never to smoke the magic tobacco in the porcelain jar shaped like a China man's head. Fred stays away from it for a long time. One day he falters and suddenly finds himself involved in high adventure on the Spanish main. Let's talk about ba- the bad things in this annotation, least bad to worst bad, but I'm not going to repeat the words. Least bad, a child smoking tobacco products. Then we go down into <laughs> then we go down into various I don't even know what to call them. <laughs> The the way that physical impairments are treated in this book is very unpleasant and problematic, put it that way. Then we have the use of a a, a racial slur for someone who's Chinese. Which is also pervasive in this book. Yep. And, I mean, I think that covers it. I think that covers it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so... I think I think it's obvious that we did not enjoy this book. It seems to be a theme in this season. I, I appreciate you all sticking with us. We're almost done, I swear. This one, though, I have to say, you know, I was reading a little bit about it, and <laughs> out of all the votes for Newbery books in this inaugural season, in this inaugural year, mm-hmm. this one came in fourth. So out of out of two hundred and twelve votes, it got five. <laughs> So it still made the honors. It still made the honors. And if I'm going to say one positive thing about this book, it is still better than The Great Quest because at least like in this one, an attempt is being made at an adventure story. And the whole purpose of that adventure story is not like the slave trade. So at least... Yes, that's a step. It's a step up. It's a step up, but it's a. It's not. It's not a big step. This book is. No, it's. Uh, it's not a big step up. It's not like it needs to be lauded by it, any means. And it didn't make me fall asleep, like literally, like the Golden Fleece. So, it's it's not even it's not even the second worst. But it is. It's it's, it's still bad. It's very. <laughs> it's it's got very offensive content. I will say, and when I say a child smoking tobacco, I mean a five-year-old. Yeah, so to, <laughs> to lead into this, because I feel like the annotation didn't really cover this. No. Please but, please tell us more about this book. <laughs> Basically, the premise of this book is that a five-year-old named Freddie is sent by his father to purchase tobacco for him in this old tobacco shop that's like 
what, three blocks away from his house, it said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like mm, two blocks away from the Chesapeake Bay. So (laughs) I can't imagine a five-year-old. No. A five-year-old going to do this. No. First of all, just in general, a five-year-old being sent to a shop near a really big body of water. With like sailors and all. Yeah. So anyway, there is a wooden carved, I hate to call him this, but hunchback. So that seems to be the predominant thing about him. Like, like a, a statue, like a wooden carved statue out front of, of the tobacco shop who's holding like a packet of cigars. And then a man who looks very similar to the statue is the like purveyor of the shop. And he just like latches on to this five-year-old and is like, you got to see aunt Amelia and drags him into a back room in the shop where there's this little old lady who's kind of, (sighs) she, they call her lame, but uh, she has to walk with a cane and she spends most of her time sitting and sewing and seems very teary a lot of the time. And, they give him they give him gingerbread and tell him to come back but like they literally physically drag him in there and he doesn't know what's going on and they tell him to come back and he does and so he becomes this regular visitor there and he's just a 5 year old you know just a regular at the tobacco shop who just hangs out at the tobacco shop giving him gingerbread like the the witch in Hansel and Gretel. And I it just it, there was so many like pervy vibes like especially since the guy who runs the shop is not like I don't I don't know his way of speaking is very Did you ever meet like an older man who thinks that the way to relate to children is to like tease them relentlessly? Mhm. Is and he just kind of has this like nudge nudge wink wink thing going on with a five year old all the time. Five year olds don't know anything to nudge nudge wink wink about. No, no, at all. No. <laughs> and it's so weird and creepy. And the parents don't seem to object whatsoever. Well, the parents. I mean, I was really confused by the parents. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, I guess. We don't know where our five-year-old is, but he's hanging out at a tobacco shop. I guess that's fine. I also couldn't get past the fact that Mr. Punch is the name of a violent, like, trickster puppet. Yes, and that is the name Traditionally, of the wooden, the wooden statue out front is named Mr. Punch. And they tell this little boy this creepy story about how Mr. Punch comes alive and, like, drags off little boys and eats them. That's the introduction. yeah i i couldn't i okay i know a lot is talked about like audience and and appeal and stuff like that for for books i really couldn't figure out what age this should have been for oh i know like like a five-year-old is one is you know maybe someone's reading it to a five-year-old but i mean how many nightmares are you going to give a five-year-old when you read this and then two like a five-year-old probably couldn't read it actually because the language is, you know, 
it's pretty complicated. Or understand it. And it's enough to give any parent nightmares. And, and then what, the and what rev- older child is going to want to read about a five-year-old, you know? Well, and then like the reviews, the contemporary reviews, if you go back and read any of them, are like, I don't know who's going to be more delighted, the children or their fathers. I'm like, what is wrong with these people in 1922 that this is the reaction? I know that there was, there was, oh, we talked about this. There, there were not a ton of books published that year, but there were other books. And yeah. I can't, I can't grasp. I can, I, okay. I cannot grasp what was happening when something like this was considered a good book that needed to be, you know. Yeah. Lauded. Well, okay. And so the progression of the plot is there is a special container with the offensive name of of tobacco up on a high shelf that they say is magic tobacco. And if you smoke it, who knows what might happen? And then the owner of the shop, the creepy owner of the shop, has to go to the barber shop and leaves the five year old in charge of the of the tobacco shop, right? For like hours. Mm-hmm. And the kid has been hearing so much about this magic tobacco that he decides he has to try it. Now, first of all, he's been having this huge temptation and th- and being like, ooh, smoking sounds so great. It sounds so delicious. It, this, sm- this smells like brown <laughs> sugar. I bet it is delicious. And it's the worst, the worst. And the whole time I'm reading this, I'm just like, what is wrong with this author? What is wrong with him? Because he just makes smoking sound like the best, most delicious and wonderful thing. And then so the kid gets down this this offensively named container of, of tobacco and smokes it like in a pipe, like no problem, like a like a 45-year-old man. And it does, does taste like brown sugar. Mmm. It's wonderful. And Really? Really? Like I couldn't <laughs> Yeah. And then so like then the, the magic stuff starts happening and you get essentially a genie out of a bottle, even though it's not a genie. And he gets hauled off on an adventure. But he it's there's so many problems with it. <laughs> like all of these new friends form a posse, including the living statue, which has come to life and promised not to eat him. So creepy. Because because that's a really good, that's an indication of a really good children's book. When a very creepy statue promises. Comes, comes alive and promises not to eat a child. Yeah, let's go on a voyage. Yeah, and the like, shop. Let's, let's go on this big voyage. I totally trust you. And and it's not even like they're magically whisked off. Like they go down to the wharf and get on a real boat. And like the kid is like, I feel like maybe I should tell my mom, but probably I wouldn't get to go then. And to be, to be fair, in a, in a five-year-old's mind, that might be okay. But then he says to the shop owner, the tobacco shop owner, you know, I, I don't know. If, I mean, I think I should tell my mom. And the tobacco shop owner's like, I'll write her a note in the morning. It'll be fine. And then later on, three days later, they're like, oh, I forgot. And that, that's like it. That uh, it's, It is so wild. And they're headed off to the Spanish main, which is made to sound very romantic, to find an, a place called the Isle of Corrections, which one sounds very creepy, but it's supposed to be this wonderful place where all your faults are fixed, which again, creepy. 
and then all of this stuff happens and it's it's all this like nonsensical stuff is happening that I feel like is supposed to be giving you vibes of like Alice in Wonderland or something. Well, I kept thinking like, oh, he's really trying to do Oz. Yeah. And like a creepy tobacco fueled like (laughs) haze. He's trying to really pull off an Oz, like a new Oz. (laughs) But it also has kind of like the weird stilted language and like sort of task driven plot that reminded me a little bit of like Pilgrim's Progress. (laughs) So like all of these things jumbled up together, but not as good as any of them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he didn't do it as good as them. I'm saying it's like, I'm not, oh yeah. It's so terrible. Ugh. I, I will say this is, I mean, I was appalled and like freaked out when I was reading it and I, but I also was kind of laughing and I, listening to you is just making me laugh more. <laughs> like I, I, you know, this, this book was, it get by no means, by no means gets a pass for the content, but it is so outlandish that it it actually is is pretty funny, and especially knowing that now, like, I mean, the chances of a kid picking this up, the chances of it being in a library, that kind of thing, are very slim. Yeah, it makes it it makes it while it's still got very problematic content and it's still very upsetting in a lot of different ways. It is easier and more fulfilling to make fun of. <laughs> It's true. Miami Book Fair is back in November with hundreds of your favorite authors and their new books, and you can see them in person and online. Come to downtown Miami or watch at home for best-selling children's and YA authors like Case and Calendar, Mary Pope Osborne, and R.L. Stein, the master of spooky tales and spine-tingling suspense. Rainbow Rowell, Chris Grabenstein, and Zoraida Cordova will also be there talking about love stories, mysteries, and mythical creatures like grumpy unicorns and fire-breathing chipmunks, plus story time, comics, arts and crafts, science experiments, music, robots, and other family fun in Children's Alley during Street Fair weekend. Stop by to learn how to play the drums, hang out with stilt walkers and balloon twisters, or write your very own poem. And there's lots of other cool stuff to do and see, too. Miami Book Fair starts Sunday, November 13th. Details at MiamiBookFair.com. I knew what I was in for when I got to, like, the very beginning of the book because it's got, like, principal persons and then a list. And, like, there are things like the old codger with the wooden leg, you know, (laughs) Mr. Lemuel Mizzen, Marmaduke, Captain Lingo catch the practitioner you're just like oh come on okay and then, so this but then then it gets to the list of illustrations do you have that in your book uh no wait a minute because I, I again i read it on project gutenberg hold on a second no they've got the chapters oh yeah list <laughs> if you read the list of illustrations it does that thing where they're numbered and there's like a a quote from the book as a reference to each illustration and it's like Lord bless us, cried the hunchback. Look at that. You know, or a stuttering parrot. I'm I'm Lemuel Mizzen, A.B. That's me. (laughs) And then, of course, there's a a racial stereotype. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this book insults everybody. There's, There's references to slavery, and there's also a whole, like... 
rug merchant market Arabian situation. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it really doesn't leave anyone untouched or unscathed. And so, of course, we cannot recommend this book, but it is the audacity and the actual, I, no, I wouldn't say audacity, the actual attempt to make them characters, at least to me, makes it a bit better than The Great Quest. Yeah, I mean, just just the fact that the whole point it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> the The point of the but, book is to yeah. to fix, like they want to fix these things they perceive as being wrong with themselves, which is more laudable than than trying to fill up a boat with kidnapped slaves. That's the only that's the only step up. Yeah. But it it goes on and it just gets more and more ridiculous and they come to like sort of this magical ending where they, they do get their desires. So Freddie wants to be big, so he's a grown-up. He's a knight, you know. And Aunt Amelia is sad that she's an old maid and doesn't have any children. And so she's actually the secret queen of the of the country that they're in and she had and she finds her family. And all this stuff happens. And then they just sort of like take it back. Like everybody ends up reverting to their original selves and there's no real explanation as to why. Like there's no like, oh, you know, we're we're better off ourselves after all because of this and this. There's none of that. It's like it's just part of the adventure of like somebody's sick and the only way to fix it is to go back. Well, it really, that's where to me the, the Oz comparisons come in because yeah. it's very like, oh, well, Freddie just smoked too much tobacco. Yeah. So you're left with this ambiguity so, at the end of like whether that really happened or whether he smoked that tobacco, fell into a coma, and then they let him go right back to the tobacco shop. Well, that's, that's where. <laughs> yeah. The the end, ha, happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I know. And, uh, it, it was, it's just, it's just so bizarre. Like it's, I, I can't overstate how absolutely bizarre this book is. Yes. And I tried to like, look up more about the author to be like, does he have some crazy life? And that's why this, no, you look at his picture online. He looks like he just like really likes smoking tobacco and thought he'd write a cool adventure story, but <clears throat> he's not. He did write other books, but he, like by trade, he's an attorney. Yes, he was an attorney. I mean, he just looks, he looks, I, to me, he doesn't look like someone who would be like, I'm going to write a book about uh, a five-year-old who smokes tobacco and I'm going to bring in everybody in the world and uh, use the worst language for them possible. Bad things sometimes come in doughy packages. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, that, that, that happens, but I, uh, he, okay. So he wrote another book first. His first book was the enchanted forest. And then he wrote some other books. Solero, the tailor, his tales of the magic doublet doesn't sound thrilling. Merrimag, Philip the Fawn. <laughs> so I feel like he's very guilty of which, of what is to me a huge crime in children's books by children's authors or people who want to fancy themselves children's authors is this idea that they can just write, they can use a wacky name and they can just, you know, write anything as long as it's got a wacky name and something wacky happens. And then 
voila, children's book. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. And that is not good children's book writing or literature. And I hate the fact that this was lauded and he kept writing. And thankfully, there aren't that many of them. (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you what's more interesting is the illustrator. Yes, the illustrator was very interesting. And I I have to say the fact that he is responsible for... (laughs) Little Lord Fauntleroy, as we know him, the depiction of Little Lord Fauntleroy is absolutely amazing to me and endlessly amusing and exciting to me that now I know who created that very famous figure. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the Francis Hodgson Burnett books, I mean, that's the author of The Secret Garden and Little Lord Fauntleroy. And this illustrator drew Little Lord Fauntleroy in the like, that stereotypical like velvet jacket and the the curly hair that hangs down in big ringlets. And I guess at the time it started some like huge fad. So like all the moms were dressing their kids this way. And it, it just turned in, it like totally blew up and then he hated it because he was mad about it. If you look at his picture, don't you feel like that you, you can hear the way he would sound when he spoke? Um, yes, very, very <laughs> British. But I also, I feel like he does resemble just a little bit. He resembles Stephen Fry. And so I, I can't help oh. but think he would sound like Stephen Fry. Gotcha. Yeah. And he, you know, he painted a lot of portraits and landscapes. And really, sadly, but very strangely named, he passed away of heart failure at the Home for Incurables in the Bronx. I know. Which that is was so like... I'm a little afraid to look into that more because that's such a really scary name to me. Speaking of names, his middle name is Bathurst. Yeah. I thought it was Bathurst, but I, I oh. like Bathurst better. I like, well, I'm probably wrong, but I like Bathurst better too, especially <laughs> since it's just very Halloween-y. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah he seemed know. very interesting and I actually like his illustrations. Yeah. I mean, although sometimes the content are, slash the captions weren't great. Yeah. I, you know, yes, I, I did like his art. We'd like to say thanks again to our sponsor, Little Shop of Stories, our local independent children's bookstore, for helping to make this podcast possible, both financially and through their phenomenal programming. They're offering an exclusive promo for our listeners when you shop online at littleshopofstories.com. Just use the promo Newberry Tart to get 10% off your purchase. That's Newberry with one R, N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T, to get 10% off your purchase. I guess for my little Newberry history portion, I wanted to talk a little bit about the first chair of the first Newberry committee. Her name was Clara Whitehill Hunt, and she was from New York, and she became a teacher, and then she met a librarian and became decided to become a librarian. So she attended the New York State Library School. Two years later, she landed a job in Philly and opened the new children's room of the Old Apprentice's Library in Philly. Then she worked in the Newark Public Library System and finally ended up at the Brooklyn Public Library where she was stayed for 37 years. And she helped establish children's rooms and she eventually opened up the first children's library in 1914, which is now the Stone Avenue branch. She ended up retiring in 1939 and then she ended up passing away in 1959, but she was really pivotal in children's librarianship. 
And without her, we really wouldn't have like children's departments and like children's, like the idea of children's librarians as we know it. So she really was, she established that and really there wouldn't be a Newbery Award without that work, I think, as well. People like her are so impressive and so, I mean, as much as we are criticizing, and rightly so, the books that won in this first year, I think if people like her had not advocated for it and like pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, then there would have been no improvement. Like it, things would have stayed at that level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, as much as I dislike a lot of these books that we're reading for this season, I think that without people like her and without the Newbery Award in particular, things wouldn't have gotten better. So I'm very, very grateful for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is one of those things, right? Like it, these books are, uh, boring at best, uh, problematic at worst and, and well, wildly <laughs> offensive at worst, <laughs> wildly if, uh, offensive at the absolute worst. But I do think that she, I do think, uh, you know, we talked about the scholar slash book seller side of the award and then it, it really can't be understated how important the librarian part of this award was. Not only is the American Library Association, of course, the home for this, for the Newberry, but the tireless work of, I mean, now 100 years of librarians to keep this award going, to make sure that as best as they can to assure quality in the award. And then to follow up and make sure these books get into the hands of kids. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't ever want, I think, any of these books to end up in the hands of kids. <laughs> the modern this, winners. The modern yes. winners. Yes, the modern winners, yes. But um, these, the 1921s, and probably, I mean, I don't even know. I, I, you know, I don't even know when, what year I would say maybe like all of them should go and still be readable and, you know, yeah. something that's useful. But um, Well, I mean, you get heading into, heading into the next year, you get, you get Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, but there's often uh, a lot of like racism. Yeah, there's often a lot of racism and imperialism in his books, and so I don't, I don't know because I don't remember if I've read that one. It's been a long time. Just to reassure all of you guys, there's one more book left in the season. It is the winner of the Newbery, which got a humongous, vast majority of the votes. So I have high hopes that it's actually better. We'll see. Mm It may not be, but but we'll see. But the next season we're doing... 2007. Which is full of fun books that are good. (laughs) I mean, like good in terms of reading quality, but also just much, much less problematic. So there's there's a light ahead. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and there is controversy from that year. I think it's been dubbed Scrotum Gate. But um, that's that's small potatoes compared to some of this BS. Yes. So, yeah. Five-year-old, a five-year-old. The whole book well, is called what, The Old fi- Tobacco Shop. Oh. What five-year-old doesn't want to just trip trip their head off, you know, in a in tobacco shop with a weird weird statue and some, some old people? What's wrong with those parents? That, I mean, they... They were high on the tobacco too. Something. Oh my God. I can't get over it. I really, I can't get over it. I get the times were different, but come on. I mean, yes, times were different, but t- I, I, not, not you should smoke a bowl different. <laughs> but not even that, like just letting him like go down by the wharf and buy tobacco <laughs> and hang out with strangers who are adults and very, very creepy. 
I, oh, none of this is okay. None of it. No, it isn't. But it's really funny to hear you talk about this. I can't I'm help sorry. it. I can't help I'm it. Sorry. It's really endlessly amusing me today. So thank you. <laughs> well, anyway, I know we usually talk about read likes and read betters. I have none. Nothing is like this, thank God. And everything is better. So uh, okay. read, read a book, I, any book. The, the only thing I can say is that I would. I would say that just just read the Wizard of Oz books. Just read the Wizard of Oz books. They they do have also problematic elements, but they're worlds better and they're better written and they're better books and, you know, they're easier to explain and and talk about with your child. So just read the Wizard of Oz books. This is like the evil twin of the Narnia books. <laughs> is what it is. It's the evil Tobacco it fueled twin. <laughs> oh God, I can't. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's all we got. That's, that's that's all. That's yeah. That's it. Thanks for joining us today on the Newberry Tart Podcast. Please find us on social media. We're on all the usuals, and please rate and review us on whatever platform you listen. It helps other people find the podcast and helps keep us going. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Mytinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry Tart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.